0: Good morning. Good morning. All right, those of you who know me know what I'm about to say next. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord everybody. The Lord. Okay, if you hadn't caught on for everyone else who did it, when I say praise the Lord, you say it back, it seems like every time I'm given this opportunity, I have to re give this lesson, so let's try it again. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord everybody. Praise the Lord. I am Ryan Rev Cartwright. Typically, you see me up on the stage leading worship or you see me running around in the back with a camera, but today, today I've been graced with this awesome opportunity to deliver this morning's message. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Come on, talk back to me now. You guys doing good? If you haven't figured it out, I am a black preacher, so I need you to talk back to me this morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Praise God. Praise God. Praise. God. See, we just concluded a phenomenal series called Are You Just? And we have now entered into a new series called On The Way. Look at your neighbor and say, on the way. Ooh, y'all follow directions real good. Look at your other neighbor and say, on the way. On the way, on the way. On the way. What's on the way? What's on the way? Who's on the way? See, we have now entered into Advent season, and Advent season was, was the days and the weeks leading up to the first coming of Jesus Christ. But we now live in a different Advent season as we anticipate Christ's return. Amen? So we're talking about what it means for something or someone to be on the way. See, on the way, meaning in the process of coming, in route, about to arrive. On the way. I remember as a kid, since it's the holiday season coming up, and since Thanksgiving just ended, it's, it's Christmas now, basically. So people are excited about Christmas. Amen. So during the holiday season, I remember my, my dad would pick me up. My parents were, were not married, so I would have two Christmases. I would spend Christmas Eve uh, with my father's side of the family, and I would spend Christmas Day with my with my mom's side of the family, and I distinctively remember the days leading up to Christmas Eve. My father would call me, he'd say, okay, the day before Christmas Eve, I'm gonna let you know that I'm on my way. And because of that, I will begin doing everything I can to prepare for my dad to get there, right? I would start packing my bags, I would start picking out the clothes I want to wear. Y'all know I like clothes, so I had to make sure my outfits was crispy. Like I had I pe- start picking out clothes, I start picking out, I was like, okay, well, where are we gonna eat? And if he doesn't want to go out to eat, like what can I convince him to eat at the house? Like, what can he make and what we're gonna talk about? And, ooh, I'm gonna take this game system and we're gonna play these games and we're gonna do this. And I got really concerned with what it is that I wanted to do with my family father that I would get so worked up. And I remember the day before when he would call and he'd say, all right, Ryan, in the morning, I'm going to be on my way. I needed to be ready. I'd put my bags by the door, right? And then I'm like double tri- like checking them, and I'm quadruple checking them, and I'm making sure I have everything I needed to be ready. And then when he'd call that morning and say, I'm in route, I would like start pacing the house. I'm like looking at the front door like, is he here yet? Did he forget about me? Is he coming? Like, what's taking him so long? Like, what if he forgets to come? Like, what if he f- completely forgets that he wants me to come over his house? And then my mom would be like, Ryan, calm down. He's coming. Chill out. But mom, I can't chill out. My father is on his way. Has someone ever told you they were on the way? Were you excited for them to get here? What were they bringing with them? And what would you do until they got there? Let's read Romans 13 verses 11 through 14. It says, this is all the more urgent For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day and we must live decent lives for all to see. Do not participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, though, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for bringing us together. God, we thank you for the word that is going to come forth. God, we thank you for the ways that we're going to see your glory and understand what it means for you, God, to be on the way. And Lord, I pray personally that I would be invisible, God, that your words would be what they hear, that, you would, that they would see you and only you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we get to this chapter in Romans, we are about 80% of the way through the book of Romans, right? Um, By this time, Paul has not yet been to Rome. In fact, he had been planning to go to Rome, but he wanted to make sure he sent this letter to the believers in Rome before he reached Jerusalem because he knew when he got to Jerusalem, there were going to be some hard times ahead of him. Now, when he... Now, we all know that Rome was a political area, right? It um, was filled with, with different, different beliefs and different thought systems and, and different ideologies. And Paul wanted to make sure he had to set the record straight to the believers there, what their true identity was and what the future held for them as they continue in this walk with Christ. Amen. 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 Y'all here, y'all here. Many, Many of the Pauline epistles, many of the letters Paul wrote to the believers in the New Testament had very specific topics, right? There were some that talked about sin. There were some that talked about endurance. There were some that talked about identity. But the book of Romans simply talked about God. It talked about salvation, it talked about faith, it talked about Christ, it talked about the gospel. There we read in Romans, it's where he beseeches us to be not of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It it is there that he commissions us to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable um, unto the Lord. It's there that he tells us that the initial step in salvation is confession through your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is there in Romans that he tells us that all things work together for the good to those that will call. It is there in Romans where he tells us for the wages of sin is death. But when we get to chapter 13, he takes a shift, right? He says, wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. I hope the the turkey and the stuffing isn't still holding you down. Look at your other neighbor and say, wake up. Wake up. He tells, Paul tells the church to wake up. Assuming the believer is in a slumber, Paul is commanding the believer to wake up. There is an urgency in this portion of Paul's message. And I don't think Paul was talking about a natural slumber, but I think he was talking about something a lot more spiritual. Um, When one is sleeping, one is unaware of what's going on around them. And I think Paul was referencing a more spiritual unawareness, a ignorance, if you will, to what was happening. But what is it that they were unaware of? What is Paul getting at? It seems as though Paul is referencing that something is nearer than it once was before. Paul says that salvation is nearer, but Paul You told me about six chapters or so before this that salvation only comes through Jesus, which would mean that Jesus is nearer than he was before. And, but Jesus was here already, Paul. Jesus came and died, Paul. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of a virgin, died on the cross. And we saw that happen, Paul. And, and in fact, he was put in a tomb for three days and then rose again and then ascended unto the Father. So what do you mean he's coming back when he was already here? See, the believers were unaware of the urgency of the coming of Christ. And in order to be ready for when he gets here, there are some things that we must let go of, some things we must rid ourselves of, some agendas, some plans, some ideas that we have to let go of before he gets here. See, I remember getting so worked up about my dad coming to get me for Christmas. Um, I would get so like, energetic and, and so excited that when he didn't come, when I thought he was supposed to be there, I would go take a nap on the couch. Some of y'all catch that later. I began to focus on myself, right? I began to focus on my plan, what it was that I wanted to do with the Father, and I did not rest or dwell in the fact that my Father was on his way to come get me. That the plan that my Father had for me was incomparable to the plan that I had for his house. Let me make it more plain. My sisters and brothers, God is on the way, and in fact, He's gone to prepare a place for us, as he says in John 14, but we must not be sleep spiritually unaware of the times because we are preoccupied with our will and not resting in the promise that Jesus is coming back with his perfect will and his perfect plan that ultimately protects us from from what we don't know. And the promise that we need to rest in is understanding that when He comes, He comes with redemption and power. Amen? Amen? Amen. And waiting on God is not an inactive stance. It's not an inactive stance. I learned from my leaders here that we do not wait on God, God, in fact, waits on us. I'm reminded of John. When John was anticipating Jesus coming, John was not just chilling. John was not sitting on his couch. John was not like, okay, well, well, he'll get here when he get here. John was working, working for God's house, working for the kingdom of God in preparation for him to return. And when he returned, not only was John ready, but the people were ready as well. Amen. Amen. So Paul tells us to let go of some things, to let go of wild parties, to let go of drunkenness, to let go of sexual promiscuity, to let go of immoral living and quarreling and jealousy and to put it down and to let go of your self-gratifying, self-indulging spirit and to put on the spirit of God, to put down the things that we fear our neighbor will find out, the things that we wish we could stop doing and to let go of the plans and the agendas that we're so heavily trying to pack into our bags as we prepare to go to our Father's house, the things we want to talk to Him about, the things we want to take with us, some of us even disqualifying ourselves because we figured out, if we haven't figured out what to do with our current circumstances, that we can't shake our low self-esteem, if we can't shake our poverty, if we can't shake our depression, if we can't shake our suicidal ideation, if we can't shake living in the in-between, we decide to take a nap instead of anticipating that Jesus is coming. Help us, Holy Ghost. But when is he going to get here, right? What's taking him so long? The waiting reminds me of Jairus and his daughter when, when he asked Jesus to come heal his daughter, and Jesus is on his way to heal his daughter, and then Jesus stops and heals somebody else. Excuse me, Jesus? Jesus, my, I just told you my daughter is dying. My child is not... Might not live if you don't hurry up. Come, okay, she, she touched the hem of your garment. Okay, cool, let's go. Oh, you, you're still talking to her. All right. But what I have, Jesus, my plan, my agenda is more important than her salvation. So can, can you come heal my, my, my daughter, please? I'm reminded, I'm reminded of Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to their house. One was more concerned with getting dinner ready, and the other was sitting in the presence of God. Jesus, can you tell my sister to help me? Dinner is what we need right now, right? Aren't you hungry, Jesus? You've been traveling, and you've been walking around, and I know your feet hurt, but, like, can we eat something, please? I can't do it all by myself. Make her help me. Martha, you're missing it. I'm reminded of Lazarus in the tomb. And they send for Jesus who's down the road about a few days, I believe it was. And when Jesus gets in the vicinity, one of them comes to meet him and they're angry. Jesus, if you would have gotten here when my agenda needed you to be here, if you would have gotten here when I needed you here, my brother and your best friend would still be alive. Where were you? What took you so long? But they didn't know what Jesus had when he was on his way. We must live our lives in preparation to what is coming to get us. We are so busy trying to get things done that we miss that Jesus is coming back. See, getting things done and getting things finished is not the goal because it seems to be what is happening because the people in this time Referring back to Romans, these people are living reckless. They're partying. They're getting drunk. Well, Jesus isn't coming any back back anytime soon, so I might as well just do what I want to do and have my fun until he gets here, right? I'll get back to doing what you want me to do, Jesus, in a second. I want to do this though. God, I know there's stuff you need me to do before you get here, but this, this is more important to me. Jesus, I need you to leave that woman who touched her him and heal my child. My situation is more important than that, Jesus. Jesus, I need you to tell my sister to help me cook. Once our house is ready, then, then I'll sit at your feet, Jesus. Jesus, I know my brother will rise on the last day, but I want him to live now, and you took too long to get here because I'm not sure what you want. Jesus, is what I want. Jesus, you want me to preach, but I need my car fixed. So if I can't get my car fixed, Jesus, then I can't get to the church. And if I can't get to the church, I can't preach. And if I can't preach, you won't get any glory out of that. And you won't get any glory, then what good am I, Jesus? So I'm going to focus on my agenda. I'm going to focus on working and working and working on, on my plan to get my car fixed so then I can preach. Then I'll do your will. Let that sit in your spirit. Jesus, you want me to focus on tithing and offering and and Bible studies, but rent is due. You want me to worship, Jesus, but I am still mourning. You want glory, but there's things I need to do, stuff I need to get ready, stuff I need to pack up before you get here. And that'll be a while anyway, so uh, take your time, Jesus. Take your time. I think you're coming back soon, but I don't know when. So I'm going to just do my own thing. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to mistreat my brothers and my sisters. I'm going to engage in sexual promiscuity. I'm going to do my thing before you come to get me. I'm going to engage in my own plan, my own activities, which causes me to be sleep or unaware of your plan for me. What's your agenda? What's God's agenda? What agendas need to be given up? So the other day, I was hanging out at Corey and Rachel's, and we were talking about something. Um, has anyone ever been included in a group text? <laughs> Have you guys put in a group text before? How many of you like group texts? I see a lot of people <laughs> praying for you, sis. Well, well, while I'm hanging out with Corey and Rachel, me and Corey end up in this group text. And the text was sent to me by a number unknown. And I was afraid to open it, because I already saw that the message was real, real long. And those of you who, said, who know about texting culture, when you've been sent a long message, it's something, something bad, right? Can we, read the, can, we, can we look at the text all together? Can we look at the text all together? So the text message came from Jesus, and it was in in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus sent me a text, y'all. Y'all want to read what he had to say about what we were talking about? Because if you don't believe me, Jesus has something to say about this. Now, in my Bible, now this is different, but in my Bible, the words are read. And it says, now mind you, this is Jesus. Jesus says this, so don't get mad at me, get mad at Jesus, because this is what Jesus texts me. However... No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. When the son of man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets hmm. and parties what, and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize they were sleeping. What was going on and what was going to happen until the flood came and took them all away. My God, that is the way it will be when the son of man comes. Two men will be working together in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. So to you, you too must keep watch. Wake up is what that means for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch, he would stay up and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Now, this is my favorite part right here. A faithful, sensible servant if we don't have that, i have it. Oh, amen. Praise God. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that his servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Amen. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil? And thinks, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants, parting and getting drunk. Hmm, does this sound familiar, saints of God? The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And at the end of the text... He sent another text, and it said, In route, I'm on my way, ETA unknown. Jesus himself paints a clear picture, and there's clearly a correlation between the text that Jesus sent me and Corey and what Paul was telling to the believers in Rome. There has been an expectation that has been set before us to do God's work for God's house and God's glory and not our own, that there is much work to be done in God's house, and the work and the work that we're doing for our houses is so finite, in fact, that when all is said and done, those things, the work that we're doing for our houses will soon pass away, but But only the things of God will remain. Only the things of God will stand the test of time. While we wait, we work. But the work we do for our house continually will not last. What God, what what the work we're doing for God will last for eternity. Jesus tells us in this text that he's putting the servants in charge of the house. And he would like to return and see that his other servants are taken care of, fed and groomed, loved and accepted and appreciated, the garden manicured and the bathroom clean, no dishes in the sink and the floor vacuum, but without the anticipation of knowing that the master would show up. But in a posture of humility and obedience, not anticipating a reward, but seeking to complete the will of a righteous master, because when the master returns unexpectedly and sees his house has been taken care of, Care of, there'll be a reward unimaginable for that servant the servant who uses the master's house though for their own agenda is in a world of trouble the servant who beats and excludes the other servants because they don't look like, don't act like, and don't smell like, they, like that said servant. The one who excludes them from the party that they shouldn't even be having in the first place. Or the servant who uses the master's house to even have a party and drinks the master's wine and gets drunk. The servant who engages in activities behind closed doors that no one should ever be told of in the master's house. That servant, the servant who does that, there's a plan clearly laid out for them the servant who takes care of God's house, the servant whose preparation and waiting looks like tending to what God asked of them, that servant will receive the joys of the Lord. That servant will reside with his master. When I'm about my father's business, I get the opportunity to rest in his presence and to rest in his spirit, and to rest in his grace, and to rest in his love. Because in the house of the Lord, that is where God's presence resides. And Paul does a great job of jumping, let's jump back into Romans, of doing a great job of telling us what to put down and what to pick up. Ridding ourselves of one thing and picking up the Spirit of the Lord because the Spirit of the Lord is the thing that leads and guides us into not a little bit of truth, but all truth. The Spirit of the Lord awakens us, wakes us up from our spiritual slumber, and the Spirit of the Lord protects us from the darts of the enemy. So when Abba, when Father comes to get us, He's bringing His Spirit with Him. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, everything that is not like God must be removed because God sends His Holy Spirit also now to give us keys to his house already. Somebody ought to clap their hands and give God praise for that. I'm trying to be the servant that gets to reside in God's house when he comes back with everything that that I need. I'm trying to reside in his presence. I'm trying to be in the presence of the Lord because in God's house, in God's house, he says in my father's house there are many mansions. In God's house there is healing, there is freedom, there is deliverance, there's breakthrough, there's peace and serenity, there's needs and desires being met, families reunited, relationships restored, gardens reestablished, in his presence there's unspeakable joy. And the biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, all the things you've sacrificed is being kicked back into your presence, is being kicked back to you. Everything that the enemy took from you in his presence, you will receive those things back. If you've never experienced the almighty presence of God, I challenge you to press into his presence because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. The thing that you are missing, the thing that you are lacking, the thing that you need from God is in his presence. And I'm so excited. I'm so delighted that we get the opportunity to come into the house of god today that we have access to some of that promise today that god blesses us with relationships and community to remind us of what it looks like when we get into the presence of god because in heaven there's the ultimate community there is nothing but re- renewal restore and all of us will be united to god in glory come on clap your hands and give god praise because in his presence in god's house in god's house Everything I'd ever need is there in God's house. The healing that I need is present in God's house. Oh, I wish I had some people who knew about God's house in God's house. There's a feast and nobody has to be hungry in God's house. And look at your neighbor saying God's house. Look at your other neighbor and say, I want to be in God's house. Say, I want that. I want that. I want. Raise your hand if you want that. If you want joy unspeakable. If you want peace for your troubled mind. If you've ever had your mind troubled. If you ever felt like you was about to go crazy for whatever reason it might be. I want you to know that in the presence of God, he is peace for the troubled mind. But do you know about him? I want to know him for myself right because the only way you can understand the only way you can fathom what it means to be in the presence of god is you must be in relationship with the father and if there is no relationship there is no inheritance i hear you holy ghost if there's no relationship there's no inheritance so if you want to get into god's house you must know the son and if you don't know the son there's no way you can get access or be given the Holy Spirit which gives you access or keys to his house when it's time. So do you know Jesus? Because Jesus is commissioning us. He's asking us. He's giving us a task. He's beseeching us, therefore, to do his will. Jesus says the exact same thing A chapter after that about the five talents. The master gives talents, right, and the servants possess them and are given the responsibility to work with that and to create interest to give back to the master. There was one who did not listen, though. They were unaware of what the master had in store for them. They were sleeping. They were sleeping on what the master had for him. Looking back at the scripture about the servants, I ask you the question, which servant are you? In what ways have you been acting like the servant who doesn't receive the master's joys? In what ways have you been allowing your own agenda even To make you unaware of what God is calling you to. The plan that God has for you. God wants you to help in his effort in growing the kingdom of God. But if you don't know him, how will you ever know? And if you don't know, have you asked him what it looks like? Have you asked them what it means for you to be an active participant in growing the kingdom of God? Or have you just been settling? Or have you just been asleep? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Are you awake? Or are you sleeping? Are you asleep to the will of God? Are you unaware that he's coming back to get you? Do you not know he's coming? Because if you didn't know, you can't play the ignorance card anymore. You can't say, well, I didn't know he's coming back. But that was my assignment today, was to remind some people who didn't even know that he's coming. So if you wanted to continue living with your dark, dirty clothes, as we read about in Romans, if you wanted to continue to do that, now you can't do it anymore. Because I had to make sure that I was obedient to what God had asked me to do. That I was an active participant in what God was calling me to do. So guess what? Wake up. Wake up. Worship team, whenever you guys are ready. Wake up. Because the time is now. The hour has now arrived that we must be ready for him to return. Because at the judgment, we will answer for the deeds done in our body. And what we didn't get to was when the master gave the talent and he came back and the one was sitting on them. He was sleeping on the talents that God God had gave him, that his master had gave him rather the master dismissed him he said you cannot accept you cannot receive the joys that i have for you because you didn't do anything with what i had given you so i ask another question what has god given you what opportunities what circles What people have you been placed around? Where do you work? What has God already given you? Because some of you are looking at me sideways because you're like, well, I don't know what God is calling me to do. Well, God has placed you in a place for his purpose. I said it before, and I'll continually say it. We are globally positioned saints. God places us in situations with people to bring him glory and to do his work. But if we are asleep, if the blinders are on, if there's too many Instagram filters over our eyes, help me, Holy Ghost, and we will miss, we will miss what God is saying to us. We will miss what God is asking us to do. God has called each and every one of you to do his will and his work. But our agendas become more important. What we want to do is more important, Right? But what about God's house? What about God's house? How many of you guys are ready to go to God's house? So those of you who are afraid to raise your hand, that is not an anticipation of like dying or something. Because we, we, we're, we're, so, we're so sleep to the fact that being in God's house is, does not mean the end. Y'all missed that. Being in God's house does not mean it's the end. Being in God's house. Oh, I wish I had time to preach that. Being in God's house is an anticipatory position. And being excited about the redemption that God brings us. How many of you guys are sick of being sick? Sick of being tired? Sick of being ill how many of you are sick of your loved ones dying how many of you guys are sick of depression sick of anxiety sick of these things because in his presence that is not there so how many of you guys again I'll ask are ready to be in the presence of God how many of you guys are excited about being in God's house there is hope And that hope is Jesus today. Today, if you have not been given the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to... To jumpstart this this understanding of what it means to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit God's house, and to be in God's presence, let today be your day of visitation. Let me introduce you to this man named Jesus, the man who died on the cross, the the man who died on the cross for our sins, who, who carried the sins of the world and ascended unto God the Father, and who is now coming back to redeem each and every one of you, to redeem you from that depression, to redeem you from that suicidal ideation, to redeem you from anxiety, to redeem you from sickness and sorrow, to redeem you from your. Your morning, and to turn your morning into dancing that is what happens in God's house. And I'm excited to sit on the couch with Jesus. You excited to sit on the couch with Jesus? You excited to be in God's presence?